I'm Karen Lewis, and welcome to Recovery Bites, a show that gets real about recovery, where we welcome voices in the field and voices of experience. Join me for candid interviews with experts in eating disorder and mental health recovery. Listeners can look forward to new perspectives, meaningful conversation, diverse connection, and compelling personal narratives that make a powerful difference in how we live. Episodes focus on life beyond recovery, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges, and the authentic accounts of recovered lives. Not their whole story, just bites. Hi, everyone. The Karen Lewis Eating Disorder Center is expanding throughout the country. If you are an experienced, well-trained therapist with lived experience whose clinical approach aligns with the values represented in these podcast episodes, or if you are seeking treatment, we would love to hear from you. Please go to our website, KarenLewisEDC.com. All right, everyone, here we go. Okay, you have to you have to really pay attention to this episode. My guest is Sandra Kronberg, and Sandra and I have the exact same style when it comes to talking and passion and interrupting. So if if you stop paying attention for a second, you're gonna get off course. So I think this is a really fun one. I think you're all going to really enjoy it. So let's just jump right in. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites. You might be able to feel how excited I am right now. Our guest for today is Sandra Kronberg. Sandra, welcome to the show. Hi, Karen. It's so great to be here. Um, you and I go way, 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 way back. So this is a, a feat for both of us. Um, so I'm happy to be here with you today. I am so thrilled. And Sandra, we do go way back. And it, it's I, I've learned so much from you over the years, which is why I'm excited that you're on the show. There's so much for you to share. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and then we'll we'll get a little bit deeper into the interview? Sure. Um, I've been doing this for a long time. So way, way, way back. I I think I've been in this field now for about 40 years. It's crazy to think. Um, I am currently the executive director and founder of Eating Disorder Treatment Collaborative and Feed in New York. Um, I am also an IADAP uh, faculty member teaching the IADAP certification course for professionals who want to treat eating disorders and become certified. Um, I was a founding member of NIDA, and now I currently, as bizarre as it may be, I run a weekly support group called Chats in the Living Room, which started at the onset of COVID and has sort of taken on a life of its own. It's um, all of my colleagues over the years have volunteered their time and are coming on every Saturday morning 
to offer their wisdom. It's like a chronology of wisdom in the in the birthing of the field of eating disorders. Um, and it's it's amazing. And there's between a hundred and four or five hundred participants on every week, um, sharing their time and getting support and encouragement and wisdom. So uh it's it's something I I don't even know how it happened, but it did. <laughs> Sandra, I think it's so funny because you and I, we were just talking before, we are so similar. Like neither of us know anything about computers, technology, social media, and yet here you and I are probably the last two people that anyone would have thought doing these weekly shows. And it's, it's hysterical. It is. I just thought, you know, what happened was um, there was a lot of stuff coming out when COVID started for professionals, like what do you do with your clients? What do you, and I thought having been a founder of NIDA and run support groups for the clients and the patients, nobody's doing anything for the patients. So I said to my friend, Carolyn, I was like, nobody's doing anything for the patients. She goes, you should. You should. And, and, and that was, you know, her like pushing me off the diving board. <laughs> and that and was it. And since I know Carolyn, I can see her giving you that little nudge off the diving board. So, so here we are. Here we are. Sandra, what I want people to know is that you, you're one of the first dietitians that I ever met that I realized being a dietitian in the field of eating disorders is so much more than just about nutrition. And I, I didn't know that when I was very young in my career. And I met you a while back and I thought, this woman knows she, she, she is doing therapy at the same time, which by the way, is really important when you're working with clients with something that they're either terrified of or can't resist. They're very vulnerable. And here you come along and just have incredible therapeutic wisdom. So this is going to be an interesting interview. As a dietitian, I don't know how much we're going to get to nutritional parts, but we are. I'll tell you that much. We are. I want to go back to what you just said, because you triggered something in me. Like, how did I get in this field? I mean, I started out in this field as a new, I got out of school. I was going to be a nutritionist. I was going to, of course, at that time I was like, okay, I can help people lose weight. I know what to do. And what happened was when I got in the room booth people, there was so much more going on than whether they eat or they don't eat or they gain weight or they lose weight how they feel about themselves. There was so much more that I needed to learn to be able to help them. And at that time I was thinking I was going to help them accomplish their mission, but I started going to all these therapy sessions and learning from therapists because the only way I was going to help people figure out how to do anything was to have a therapeutic relationship with them and to also figure out how people change. And so currently I call myself a cognitive behavioral nutrition therapist, which is very different than a nutritionist who's going to hand out food plans. And that's the end of the story. Really, the work is so simple. Most of our patients have explored food and eating and, and diet backwards, forwards, and inside out. So giving somebody some kind of form or not form, whatever the, wherever the direction is going to take you, is takes about five seconds or five minutes if you've done this for as long as I've done. Um, but really what's between them and being able, and I'm not even going to say following the program, but being able to take care of themselves, being able to fulfill uh, and accomplish their, their worth, which brings us to the point that we were talking about 
which and and before we get to that point, and by the way, I want listeners to know Sandra and I have been friends for a long time and we both love to talk. So this is going to be like a competition of who gets to talk. Let me say something. No, let me say. <laughs> yeah, we're going to fight like that. So, but, but before we get to the genetic predisposition, one of the things, again, speaking of Carolyn, is in her book, The Eight Keys to Recovery from an Eating Disorder, there's one chapter that says it's about the food. And then there's another chapter that says it's not about the food. And so what you're doing is integrating the two and creating a really, really incredible support for for clients that are walking through your door. In my moment, like Carolyn and I have spoke together many, many, many times over the years. And what she says is... I'm the therapist that sounds like a nutritionist and she's the nutritionist that sounds like a therapist. Um, And so it's the balancing act of, you know, knowing when you can move ahead and help somebody or knowing when you have to sit with them and understand what's getting in the way. I have a slide in one of my talks that's called, when is a cheese stick, not a cheese stick. Okay. And it was really came from this session that I had with somebody who was struggling with anorexia and whose husband wanted her to get pregnant and get married. Yeah. I'd get have a baby. Right. And we were talking about just increasing her food intake by, you know, a cheese stick. And it was such an ongoing process. But what I eventually learned that that cheese stick, whatever the nutritional value and whatever, had nothing to do with whether she liked the cheese stick or she didn't like. What it had to do with is it her under her her perceived awareness that if she ate that, she would actually move into the to the to the category of being able to get pregnant and her eating disorder and anorexia could not tolerate the idea of being pregnant having her body change like that and actually having a child so we were so you know we could negotiate this cheese stick as a nutritionist backwards forwards and inside house i have this circle on the on the wall that says bang head here you know like we could do that um and would get nowhere until we had this other understanding and either was able to connect with her therapist or her you know kind of move this along to help her deal with the real part of this which was what are her fears who can support her and how do we move forward with that so that the power of the cheese stick is gone? Yep. That, that's a beautiful example because what we always say is what's underneath the behaviors. What's underneath, what's the function of the behaviors? So what's underneath that cheese stick? Oh, there's a lot. There's a whole narrative underneath that cheese stick. And the narratives, and, and I know I'm sort of like pushing you into this direction, are come from our genetic predisposition. That's how we how we view the world. So can you share with listeners, because I know you do a lot of talks about it. So share with the listeners a little bit about the concept of this. Sure. I mean, one of the things that I do in my very first session with people is really kind of put a continuum of of eating disorders together, whether we're talking about anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder, and, and the understanding that ultimately what happens is that I feel not okay. I'm not good enough. I'm not okay. I listen to the world and have this sense that I could fix 
the outside and feel better about myself. But really my genetic predisposition, my environment, my culture um, leads me in a certain direction. So if I put this continuum of I'm not okay, I don't feel good about myself, I don't like who I am, and I'm genetically predisposed to be more rigid, more perfectionistic, more detail-oriented, more anxious. Those are genetic predispositions. They can be amplified. They can be amplified, but those are predispositions. Then I am genetically predisposed to developing more of an anorexic eating disorder. Okay, I, I'm, I forgive my word verbs and all that, but but so I'm I'm genetically predisposed to be saying. I don't want to take this in. I'm a little fearful. I'm I'm I really want to keep that outside of me. The, genetically if I if I boil that down to one bite plate, there's a genetic predisposition in the development of anorexia that says no. Not okay. It's unsafe. And if I move a little bit along the continuum to bulimia, bulimia's genetic predisposition, the traits that go on are more impulsive. This will be somebody that likes it, you know, like on an impulse moves and then has guilt and shame about it. So this could be somebody even calling to make an appointment. I need to come in and see Sandra. I need to come in and see Sandra. And if I'm able to fit them in, give them what they need, even my assistant can tell if somebody's struggling with bulimia at this point, then what happens? Usually they feel guilty and shameful about it. They don't deserve it. And they either cancel or they don't show up. Those are genetic predispositions. And the behavior that ensues is this behavior of taking things in, feeling guilty and shameful about it. That could be people, that could be opportunities, that could be academia. That is how that person presents. Notice I haven't said anything about food yet. It's also what happens with food. I can take things in and then feel guilty and shameful. I could take a partner in and then feel guilty and shameful. These are these are very chaotic beings. And there's also a lot of codependency in that kind of impulsive behavior because there are other impulsive behaviors that go along with that. Sexual promiscuity, gambling, drugs, alcohol, also genetically predisposed to move on the impulse. So if I move a little further on that continuum, remember we're still on that continuum of I don't feel good about myself. I don't like who I am. Um, if I move to binge eating disorder, which used to be called compulsive overeating, these brains and, and body chemistries and traits have more of a compulsive behavior. You know, the thought just keeps coming and coming and coming and I don't get enough and I don't get enough love and I don't get enough. And this feels like this big empty void all the time. There's not enough care, there's not enough attention, there's not enough respect. And that needs to be the part of the, of the work that needs to get done, not compulsively filling that with things that are not good for them. So you'll find in, in, in binge eating, there's often this need to please other people at the expense of self and this filling up with things that aren't really what you need and hard to identify what you need. So that's the continuum, but the behaviors are developed from the genetic predisposition. And, and there's another interesting thing about genetic predisposition. You know, let's be real. We all don't have the same eyesight. You know, we all have a range of eyesight, a range of smell, everything in our body that is genetically predisposed has a range. So 
it's kind of interesting to think that it's a it's a it's a calculated amount of food or weight or you know pre who gets to determine that and how do they even know that i need x amount or that amount like everybody needs the same amount that's that that is my genetic pet peeve i'm like let's get real people not everybody needs the same amount of protein and not everybody needs the same amount of calories okay i don't want to talk numbers or anything but one needs to recognize that there are variations in intake, metabolism, excretion, We're, they're told genetic. That reminds me, I have a client who was very upset with herself because she gets one of those delivery boxes, like plated or whatever it is, you know, we're bringing the ingredients and whatnot. And she said, each meal is two servings. That's what it says. And what's wrong with me because I eat one and a half servings. And I said, nothing. Do you realize how many millions and millions and billions of people are on this earth? And you think that's one accurate assessment for everybody? No, that's a range. But unfortunately, when somebody is trying to recover from an eating disorder, they get locked into these ideas. And she was like blown away when I said, nothing, nothing. That's what, that's a framework. You, you can be inside or outside of it. Don't, don't Which bother. is so hard because that's not what people are told by the culture, right? It's, it, you know, there seems to be this message that there is a right or wrong way that, you know, and I, that's my, that's my craziness about, you know, uh, how could we not, even in the field that, that we're taught, you know, X amount of calories equal, I hate this conversation, <laughs> equal one, you know, pound, but that's not true for everybody. It's that we are human. We are not machines. We are not computer. So learning to, so this is another really important part. So a lot, so with this client, she looked outside and this is what the external measurement said. And really in treatment, we're teaching people how to look inside and trust their feelings, their, you know, what's going on, be able to use your body and yourself as the true knowing part of what you need. And that's one of my, you know, like we, with eating disorders, we uh, relinquish that at a very early age. There's this sense that I don't know, I don't trust, I'm not safe. And so I need to look outside myself at somebody else is going to know better than I, or some weight or some measurement or some size is going to make me okay. And the whole process is reversed, right? So here I am, a nutritionist talking about, you need to go inside and pay attention to what you need. First, first, usually we need to identify like that you have your own wants, like this client that you just talked about, you are going to be able to set the bar at how much you want to eat. Some people are going to eat two or three. They need more. I mean, these are, first of all, there's an economics to that as well as a portion, right? Um, but, but first we need to determine what you, that you have wants, you have needs, you have hungers, you have feelings. What are yours? It's at the bottom of these this mountain that I want to climb with clients. What, let's figure out first, 
admit you do. <laughs> like, like, it's okay to have wants, needs, hungers, and feelings. Like, that's okay. And it's important, right? Do you want to say something? Yeah, well, I was going to say, it's really hard for people to admit sometimes that they have wants and needs and feelings and all of that. I also want to say, though, that you have to be in the recovery mindset, I'm not saying you're walking through the door saying, okay, I'm ready to recover. Let's move forward. Nothing's going to get in the way. But clients can also take advantage of the go inside. How do you feel? And they can eat a very small amount and be like, but I'm full. And that's how I feel. So you, and, and, and that's just referring to people with anorexia, the same thing with bulimia. Like I'm not full. I'm not full. You have to be in the the mindset to say, this is going to be hard, but I'm going to be truthful. I'm going to be honest and and not use the eating disorder voice. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I would say for sure. I mean, it's funny because you're talking about the food and I'm still talking about the feelings. <laughs> you have to identify when you're hungry, you're angry, lonely, sad. Um, it's just a way of beginning the training of that. You know, there's a training process. And until you're able to identify that in some, you know, right now, I would say when somebody comes in to see me either on the side of anorexia or the side of binge eating or any other of the varieties of eating disorders that are in between, your, your thermostat is off. You, this is broken and we're going to do some kind of mechanized eating so that we reprogram that ability to listen and be more accurate. And it's, and it's, a you know, up three stairs and down two, up four stairs and down. I mean, that's why I'm in the room with you. That's why we're doing this together because on your own, you'd be working with the broken thermostat still. And, you know, we'd be getting the wrong information. And then because we get the wrong information from that brain, whether it's either the restrictive or the impulsive or, or the compulsive, then you're going to keep doing those same things. So, you so you know, we're sort of doing this guiding process between therapy and nutrition where we're, you know, kind of looking at places where we can make movement and make change and understand and be aware and, and, and move progressively uh, towards that you know, it's the greatest thing when somebody comes in and says, you know what, that person made me really angry or, you know, like I was like, okay, like a lot of times people are saying, I don't have any feelings. I don't know what my feelings are. I'm like, okay, we'll get there. Like, you know, so, and I don't know what my hunger is and I don't know what I like to eat. I, I divorced myself from all of that when I stopped listening in. And so it is a practice for sure. And you don't start at the top. You don't say, okay, well, now just eat what you want and listen to your hunger. That's that's not what I was saying. So I'm glad you in, interjected that point. Yeah, and, and by the way, I'm saying that as an experienced therapist who have seen clients use that before, and I'm saying this as a recovered person from an eating disorder where I used it and was like, oh, but this is really what I want. And this is, a, so there's no judgment. This is my own personal experience and my years in the field. The thing I love when we talk about the genetic predisposition of a person is it doesn't give anybody a hall pass to stay in an eating disorder, but it explains to loved ones that this is not a choice. There are genetic predispositions that hardwired, if that's the right way of saying, somebody to be a certain way. Now, the responsibility comes with what are we going to do with those traits? We can't just say, well, you have a, you know, an impulsive traits, you know, impulsive personality traits. So 
go ahead. You can have bulimia, like, or what, or gambling, whatever it is. But it, I, I think it must help with supports to understand, like, there, there is a brain wiring, which, of course, we have to talk about neuroplasticity because it's like my favorite, favorite thing to talk about. But there's, there's a reason. Like, I never woke up one day and was like, you know what? I think today I'm going to start an eating disorder. It doesn't work that way. I was genetically predisposed to have these anxious traits. And, but what we do is say, okay, if you have these traits, how are we going to swing them? How are we going to navigate them? So you're no longer using them against yourself and you're using them in a more positive way. Yeah. How can you use your traits? to your benefit and how can you preempt the ones that get in your way? And like, what's, what's, so it's like, you know, anger management, what's the earliest sign that you get and what are the tools that you have to move it, you know, to, I usually train track, right. To not go down that track, as you would talk about the neuroplasticity, which is a, 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 a pathway in your brain that gets, you know, more, it's like running down to first base. There's no grass because people run back and forth. And that's what happens in, in the neuroplasticity is like your pathway just gets carved out and you just automatically go down that pathway. And so what you need to do, if you want to go in a different direction is really push when something happens. And, and that's why we use, and I'm sure you got, you've used this too, Karen, new, different, opposite, hard, scary, and uncomfortable, not scary, dangerous, but just like, okay, you guys call, or at least I know from, from Carolyn, it's like opposite action, right? So how will I have that thought and not react in the same way? This is a really important part of nutrition cognitive therapy, which is you're going to have that thought because your brain is going in that direction. Your neural pathways are going in that, that direction. Your emotions are going in that. Your anxiety is going in the direction. You're going to do everything. Like the eating, I would say the eating disorder gets organized as a creative way of taking care of yourself when you don't know any other way to do that. So that sounds strange to people. But basically, now we also know that that ultimately that creative way of taking care of yourself blocks the development of healthy neuropathways and keeps you stuck in these pathways that ultimately are medically, met, mentally and physically harming and potentially fitting. So we have to have the same thoughts and maybe the same feelings, but be able to move them in a different direction um, with our skills and with our supports. And I do think it's important both for the clients and also for the family members and the supports to know that this this isn't a choice. I didn't choose to have the predisposition to an eating disorder, both for the clients and the family. Clients are filled with guilt and shame and, and anger that they're do, you know, they, they want to get better, but they can't stop themselves. So this is just to, to help people understand this is not any different or we haven't gotten there yet than alcoholism. You know, you have a genetic predisposition. You don't have, there's no gene for alcoholism, but you have a genetic predisposition towards the development. So we need to pay attention to that, right? I have a genetic predisposition towards anxiety. So what are the genetic anxiety, perfectionism? Um, I call this another one, self-adamacy, comparativism, detail, all of these things are, are traits that could be wonderful. They can make me the CEO of, of a major company or run the world, but they also, if put in the wrong direction by the culture 
can, and by, and by my own thinking, I need this will make me better. They can be really driven towards self harm, and they then reinforce a lot of shame and a lot of guilt, which is a bad, bad, bad. Nobody nobody really gets better in the climate of shame and guilt. So if you're a nutritionist, just getting back to me being a nutritionist, if you're not working on what the shame and you don't work on the shame and guilt, you will work with somebody on the shame and guilt, a therapist, but you'll also have to understand when a cheese stick is not a cheese stick. You know, the I, I'm not sure if everyone's going to be able to understand this metaphor, but anybody who's ever been in a group with me has seen, I actually act out how to talk about neuroplasticity because that's just the way I, I'm, I'm like one of those therapists. I would like get up and be like, all right, everybody go to each side of the room. I'm going to show you something. Oh, I love that. That's like Laura Hill. I love it. I love, and you know what? Clients got it. So what I would say to them is that neuroplasticity is similar to, and this is why it's hard to change, but you can do it. And then that becomes the easier route. So I always say, imagine you're going to get up every morning and you're going to take the same hike, similar to your baseball metaphor. When you take the same hike, there's a dirt path and then there's grass on each side because you've pushed the grass down, right? That's the brain group. You do the same hike. It's very easy. It's simple. It might be boring and monotonous, but you know it. You know when you're going to get there, when you're going to get home, how many steps, you know all of it. And then I say, I want you to go a different direction where there is no path. And I, I show them walking and I'm lifting my legs up really high as if I'm stepping over long grass to push it down. And I'm like, well, that's uncomfortable, right? That took a lot of work and a lot of energy and I couldn't see anything around me. I'm going to go back to my old path. But if you keep on the new path, that grass starts that's pushing down. Right. And the, the, yeah, the grass in the old path starts growing and now your new way is is a is a more adaptive way and i i always and i literally acted that out every time in that's groups. wonderful there's so many um nature things like that like going down a mountain and the snow and that a new layer of snow lets you go down another path i also use the one from the beach where you know you make a sand castle and then you put a marble and the marble goes down one little rung and then it keeps going down that rung but if you want it to go down another you have to push it at first you have to push it at first and then gradually the same thing would happen right you'd have a new pathway and the old one would disappear and then you get comfortable with the new one, and then you ultimately evaluate over time, like, is this where I want to be now? Or do I want to make another change? Like that's towards the progression, like things can get better and different all the time, right? We I also want to point out a lot of times, and, and please hear me, everybody, I always say this, I do not mean to make a general statement. These are, I don't mean to make a sweeping statement and say this is a fact or, or a lot of times behaviors are because clients do not want to sit in the fear and the unknown and the discomfort. It's not because they're lazy. It's not because they don't want to do the hard work. It is literally terrifying. And so that's why the recovery is so hard. We're asking people to go against, almost like saying, stop protecting yourself go out into the world of danger. And that's what it can feel like sometimes for clients. That's why I always said on my website, I was never afraid of dying from an eating disorder. I was afraid to live in the world without it. 
Right. And people have that. I mean, that's a very important piece of this, right? First of all, it, it, it becomes a behavior that helps them cope, right? A creative adaptation for survival behavior that helps them cope, which ultimately patterns into an identity. And if the identity, you know, consumes their entire, you know, everything gets filtered through that identity. If you think about having that removed, it's sort of like frightening, right? I don't have any skills. I don't have any organizational way to behave in the world and I'm vulnerable. So none of that sounds good, which is why um, a team and support, I mean, what you're doing and, and, and people being able to tune in and hear other people's stories. I mean, there was a long time when you really couldn't hear other people's stories and you were like, well, you know, nobody ever talks about this. So this is just something that I'm going through. Right. So, so just being able to get support both from your family members and your, or your partners or your friends and a team, you know, it's a long process, right? Recovering is, it takes a long time to get this embedded and fixed and to be rigidly stuck neuroplastically. So it takes a long time to recreate new pathways. Um, you know, I, I always say to some of my clients, I'm like, you know, when you were three and you wanted to cross the street, it was really appropriate that you held on to somebody else's hand. But at 25 or at 40, those same skills and strategies that you learned may be still stuck there, but they don't help you. They, they It's sort of like that life preserver that turns into cement. You, you, you're, you're holding on to something that doesn't serve you and is and is potentially harmful. But letting go feels really scary because of everything that's been programmed. If I let go, I could get hit in the street. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a really funny question. And I, this is going to sound super sarcastic, but I don't mean it. But Sandra, when do you talk about food with clients? When do you help them? Because you really are so emotionally brilliant when it comes to the emotional components that go into an eating disorder. When, when does the food piece come in? So I'm, I'm usually, well, interesting things are happening with nutrition and nutritionists um, because there is a lot of work to be done on how, how are you doing with your food and when something emotional is. So I would say this, and this is one of the things I train my therapist and my nutritionist. It's like, you don't want to split this up, but when something is going on for you emotionally, how is that impacting your ability to take care of yourself with your food um, and other ways which we've put in place? So I always put, you know, your food as some form of taking care of yourself, which by the way, for a binge eater who has had for most of their life not been taken care of and underlyingly all they want to do is take care be taken care of when you even use the words how are you taking care of yourself that's a little bit traumatic because all they want is for somebody else to take care of them and so you know even the words are, are are important but having said that there's always like what happened how did that make you feel but what happened because you felt that way did you take better care of yourself? Did you kind of, you know, hone it up and know that this was going to be a tough night? You know that when you went to the wedding that you were going to have struggles and did you get support from your team and were you checking in with somebody? You know, how did you go into that and how did that impact your food and the other behaviors that might escalate when you feel like you need help and you're going to your eating disorder for help instead of 
the new skills that you've learned. Like the eating disorder has been there for a long time. It sort of makes sense that you, you, you feel more secure with it than, than me or the other supports that are in place. But one of the interesting things that's happening nutrition, which I think is really important. And it's been important for me because I don't, I, I, it's not like I ignore the food, but I don't spend a lot of time there. I spend a lot of time on what got in the way. What were you thinking? What were you telling yourself? What happened? But also now we have, I have a lot of my nutritionists and even now meal coaches getting in there and doing some of this work. Like patients are reporting either by pictures or by words or by texting what they're eating. And I would not be the one doing that. I have more of a nutrition team now, not just a therapy team, but I have an extended nutrition team. And that team will know what the plan is and be able to support that person. Not necessarily, they have those people in the treatment centers when you go to residential program, but we haven't had them in outpatient. But now we have them in outpatient. So we have mentors and supporters and people that are trained and coaches. My nutrition before this, before Carolyn started this coaching program, I was training nutritionists to do this. Um, so I had my nutritionists checking in, doing meal support. Now there's another um, kind of level of people that are supporting the nutritionists, which are the coaches. And so I think that it sort of trickles down. I'm like the head of this. I'm the one who says, you know, this is where the, the food, the eating needs to go. You guys are going to be my eyes and ears on the ground with so-and-so. And we're all going to collectively more so hold them in an outpatient setting, which is really important because this is where they live. I think, and I don't mean to interrupt, but I think the most important question is the one you ask, which is what got in the way? That short sentence will actually provide so much information. What got in the way? What got in the way was all my insecurities came up. I started having social anxiety. Um, I started feeling unsafe. Wow. Okay. As opposed to just saying, you know, well, we'll just try it again next time. Or why, why didn't you do it? What gets in the way is the most important piece. Right. And when that comes up, just like you said, like the so there's layers of that, right? So you said my anxiety, but now I, I guess I've been doing this for a long, I hear that and, I, and I've worked with my clients on the fact that the anxiety um, or the overwhelm, which is a big word that you hear in eating disorder, or the fear is sort of an umbrella that has a lot of things underneath, right? So we can stay with under the umbrella, but we really not learning what, you know, the little pieces in there. So uh, it would have to be, tell me more. I don't have to have you on the couch. I'm not an analyst. I'm not doing that. I need to know more about what you're thinking, what you're telling yourself. I don't necessarily, I'm not a therapist, so I don't necessarily have to get to the root of this. And sometimes we never get to the root of this, but what, would what could you do instead and who could help you is are two really critical pieces to what got in the way what were you telling yourself how did that we could go deeper if depends on the how did that make you feel what does that feeling do to you and then does it does it arm you or disarm you and then if we wanted a different outcome and and that's not up to me right if you want a different outcome how, what, what, what might that be? How are we going to get there? So there's what got in the way and how are we going to get there? And I'm big on the we in the room. Like 
we're, 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 we're a team. You let me know where you want to go. And I'm not so like, Hey, do whatever you want. But you know, my mechanism is to move forward. I, I go like this with my hands. Like I, I'm push. I'm, I'm, I'm your backstop. Right. I'm your backstop. As long as we're not sliding back, we're going to be moving forward. Are we going to be moving forward uh, just straight ahead? No, definitely not. We're going to go up three stairs and down two, up one stairs and down three. But I'm the guide on that. And when things get out of perspective, we make a different call. So, you know. The other thing is it's not about where we want the client to go. It's about where they want to go. And so if I'm pushing too hard and I don't ask the client, do you want to go there? By the way, again, this is not me saying, okay, I'll back off. We don't right, have to go same. in that. But what I need to do is understand why, because I could push as much as I want. It's like what you were saying earlier, I could bang my head against the same wall. But if I don't know where the client wants to go and why, I'm, 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 it's like trying to pull something that's really, really solid and you just can't. And also when you do that, I mean, I don't know if you've ever had something pulled away. There's an instinct to pull the other direction. Absolutely. Right? To re recall. And so I think what got in the way and where would you like to, you know, like, that's my question. Where do, would you want to go and how can I help you and who else could help us? So those are just bridge, you know, bridging the 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 process of things could be different. They don't have to be. We could stay here, but look what you get when you stay here, right? That, that that's you're always kind of helping them see things a little bit more clearly. Um, I think is a role, you know, and and again. I think trust is is like one of the most important things. I have this relationship with my clients because I'm developing a trust by doing other kind of things, right? I show up, I respond to them, you know, I'm listening, I'm 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 respectful of what they say. I don't think it, I don't want them to be different than they are. There's a lot of things that go into developing that that gives me the ability to say we and then where do you want to go so I can help you get there? Yeah. Yep. And this is also why the process takes so long because we or any of us think that we're going in one direction and all of a sudden we go, oh, wait, we just hit a roadblock and we have to unpack that. And then we have like, so if I say to a client, do you want to go in this direction? And they say, no, I want to go in that direction, which in my mind's eye is still an eating disorder behavior or whatnot. I'll say to them, you know me, I always like to stay in the present. I always like to say, you know, let's stay in the present. But for this, I'm going to ask you to look into the future. If you go in that direction, where do you see that bringing you in the future? And is there a way I can, we can talk about why I think going in this direction might be helpful. So it's, it's like a negotiation and I don't mean that in a negative way. It's, it's a back and forth and one decision can take quite some time. Right, right. I have a um, skill that's very similar to that, which is no surprise, which is sort of having them do in, uh, depending upon who they are, like if they're in business, I'll say, okay, so let's say we have two companies that you want to invest in, you know, what, it, what, is, what do you get if you invest in the eating disorder company? And what do you get if you invest in this 
you know, healthy self company, or if they're tree people, I'll say, okay, so what do you get if you invest in the eating disorder magnolia? And what do you get if you invest in this beautiful blossoming cherry? And does each, you know, when you make your decisions, you're making the decisions, right? Which one does it bring you closer to? And is that what you're where you want to do? Does this decision bring me closer to the you know to the blossoming tree that you know is metaphoric for my life? Or does this decision make me bring bring me closer to my eating disorder tree? And you know what? It's not going to be one way or the other. There it's going to be, I got three investments in in the healthy bank, and I got you know two investments in the eating disorder bank as we progress through this together and that's just the way it is and and you know i'm i'm alongside to to move and push and bring clarity to some of the things that sometimes you can't see through the eating disorder perspective and the support to help guide somebody because another thing that i think that that outside supports don't understand is why wouldn't you want to get better? Why wouldn't you want this lifestyle that you keep talking about? Well, sometimes what the end goal is, is terrifying to the person in the eating disorder. So you and I and, and people in the, in the field, we know that you may see something and say, that's my end goal, but I am also terrified of that. I will be too exposed to, I will, ex, there'll be too many responsibilities expected out, whatever it is. Or I'll be rejected or, yes. you know, I'll be visible. Yes. I mean, it's so funny because patients with eating disorders talking about in, invisibility all the time. And here's a, a perfect example of one of the women in my group, I, we, the group work with her, we work with her on speaking up to her mom or whoever you're going to not, you know, not being real with. Um, and she finally did, but then felt so guilty and shameful. So, I mean, it doesn't necessarily bring you this bold finale, like, hey, that was great. It, it, it's really uncomfortable. Um, and so you have to work not only through the action, but the feelings that come along with it. And that's that's partly why, you know, like even eating something like I have a client who just started dating somebody and she is eating with this person on a regular basis. And she's going nuts because she's doing what we wanted her to do. And this is the first relationship and all that, but her eating disorder is, is off the charts with like how guilty and shameful and how can I keep doing this? And, and, you know, there's a question about breaking up with this guy because she might not be able to keep eating. And so we're really, really struggling with what, what her future, what she, what she, what her choice is and how I help her get there. You know, it can be a powerful, powerful hold on somebody. But you talk about whether that's the nutrition or, you know, like, so here we are talking about her food and yet I'm not, I can't really help her make decisions about what to eat. I have to really help her with how, how uncomfortable this feels. And how she could take care of herself through this and what her choice is going to be. Okay. As Sandra, this, this happens to me at the end of every interview. I get so upset and I'm saying, I'm sorry, we have to do this. We are going to have to start winding down. Is there anything that I didn't ask you or that you wanted to say that, that anything you want to say before, before I do ask you your final question? I think I just would reiterate that, um, it's not a choice. It's 
to have an eating disorder. There's multiple genetic predispositions, including physiological ones that make digestion and absorption different for everybody and symptoms different. And that, you know, your choice is to be able to say, do I want to continue down this path that's that narrow is so narrow and gets narrower and narrower and, and life gets narrower and narrower. That's my teeth <laughs> around this. <laughs> okay. Um, but but or do I want to with support begin to open, 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 open and be present and be real. It's a big choice. It's a choice emotionally. It's a big choice physiologically. It's a big choice spiritually. But there is a lot out there. And because of fear or anxiety or um, trauma, I've really shut down. And am I willing and, and can I find the right treatment, the right help, the right support to help me open? And that's so miraculous. I want that for everybody. Like the other side of this shutdown is so miraculous. So that's what I want to say. I want to point out, I feel like I gave this really hard turn where I was like, we have to start closing down. And I didn't mean to do that. I think, Sandra, I could be on with you for hours and hours and I don't want to end it. So in my maladaptive way, I was like, let's just do it. Do it and don't like rip the bandaid off. I yeah, know, okay. So I had to rip the bandaid off and just say, I'm sorry, we got it. We got to turn. We got to start ending. I didn't feel that. I, 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 you know, I, I appreciate the, the effort and the energy and the way that you're supporting people. Um, you know, I know from doing the chats that it's so valuable to, to be able to put out this just moments of, you know, we have from the chats, just little takeaways, like, little takeaways, like we send them out because they're so valuable. And I think you're doing a great service and I appreciate you inviting me on and maybe you'll come on the chats with me and we could talk more. (laughs) I would be honored to be on that. Oh gosh. So, okay. So as I said, we continue then. That's right. That's right. Sandra, again, from the bottom of my heart, I really, truly want to thank you for being on the episode today. Oh, thank you. It was so good to see you, be with you, and I'm sending you hugs and kisses. Love you very, very Love much. Love you back. All right, everyone. That does it for another episode of Recovery Bites. Take care and stay safe. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Recovery Bites. Be sure to visit recoverybitespodcast.com to join the conversation, access show notes, listen to past episodes, and more. You can also find us by searching for Recovery Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and major podcast streaming players. For weekly episode releases, you can follow us at at recoverybitespod on Instagram. If you're interested in becoming a guest on the show or to submit a guest request, please visit KarenLewisEDC.com forward slash podcast signup to begin the process. I'd also like to send out a heartfelt thank you to my producer, Jen Galvin. It is unbelievable the magic she does behind the scenes. All right, everyone. See you next week for another Recovery Bite. Thanks for listening.